0: wonderful listeners, this is Diane Centeno-Bloom, the producer and host of Unveiling Democracy. There's a bit of a twist for today's episode. Unfortunately, I'm currently in the middle of a flare which prevented me from joining our recording session. However, fear not because we have an incredible show lined up for you thanks to the expertise and dedication of my amazing co-host, civil rights lawyer Ashley Jacobson. In this episode, Ashley has done an exceptional job of rounding up the most newsworthy stories from the past week, ensuring you're well-informed on the latest happenings. Her insights and analysis will undoubtedly provide you with a fresh perspective on the pressing issues we face. I want to extend my heartfelt gratitude to Ashley for stepping up to the plate and making sure our show goes on. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's News Roundup with Ashley Jacobson on Unveiling Democracy.
1: Okay, thanks everyone for joining us this week in Unveiling Democracy. Please be sure to let us know if there's a topic or a news story that you want us to cover moving forward, or if there's a legal question that you want us to dive into. This week, There are a lot of news stories to cover, so I'm going to dive right in. The biggest news story is, of course, the Fulton County, Georgia, Trump-RICO case. We introduced some of the facts in this case in our last episode, but the defendants, all 19 of them, including former President Donald Trump, were ordered to turn themselves into the Fulton County Jail. By Friday, last Friday. And former President Trump turned himself in Thursday evening. As expected, the Georgia district attorney and the court system has made a, a big statement in wanting to process these defendants in a manner similar to that of other defendants in that county. So they all had their mugshots taken. President Trump's mugshot appears to many to show him making kind of a strong scowl look on his face. And it's been received quite differently from those on both sides of the aisle, and understandably so, Uh, not surprising there. However, it is quite telling that this case is moving quickly. And the district attorney is pushing to get it through, even though it's a case that has a lot of attention, the district attorney feels prepared to move forward as soon as possible and has at this point effectively thwarted the defendant's attempts to delay the trial by saying, we're ready to bring this case against all 19 defendants right now. And there should not be delays because most, if not all, of the defendants were aware of the allegations against them and much evidence prior to the charges even being filed. The defendants will be arraigned on September 6th, so we'll keep you posted on that. Next, I want to turn to a case that is close to home for me. I live and work in the Ann Arbor, Michigan area. You might know of Ann Arbor as the place where the University of Michigan is, but there is a special education case out of Ann Arbor that has created a heated debate and led a lot of staff, former staff members, parents, and students to speak out and attempt to oust the superintendent of Ann Arbor Public Schools. So I wanted to cover it. I also think it's important that we keep discussing these issues because, as we highlighted in our last episode, this is not something that just happens in one place. Students face injury, both emotional and physical, and even death, where schools aren't properly providing for their needs at school, as well as With transportation to and from school and school events. So this Ann Arbor case is out of the Eastern District of Michigan in federal court. It is Jamie Nelson Molnar as next friend of J.W., a minor. And when you see that on court cases, next friend is typically used when they want to keep the identity of a minor secret or anonymous in a sense. And usually JW, it's typically the student's initials, though it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, But the court system does try to respect the confidentiality where a minor is involved in a legal case. So this case is Jamie Nelson Molnar individually and as next friend of JW, a minor, which is the plaintiff, versus the Ann Arbor Public Schools and some other officials in their capacity with the school system and the transportation company that the school system uses. The complaint itself is quite heartbreaking to read. And if you want to Look that up, it's available online to learn more. But a brief summary here, the plaintiff is a seven-year-old child who is identified as being autistic and having a severe emotional impairment. And it is alleged that the student was physically and verbally abused by a school bus aide for several weeks, that there was surveillance footage of this abuse occurring That the Ann Arbor public school system and Durham Transportation, which is the the bus company, had access to that surveillance footage. And at this point, it is unknown why, despite requests to review and address the abuse that's shown on the footage, the school did not review that footage for five weeks. And for those five weeks, JW, the student, had to see the alleged abuser every single day. And this was an aide or an adult that was supposed to be on the bus with the student to make sure that the student was safe, that JW's needs were met, and absolutely should have been there to protect the student and not cause harm to the student. So again, another heartbreaking example of a few things that I'm seeing as a civil rights attorney in the state of Michigan. Schools not properly staffing individuals in these roles. Ideally, the people who are working as aides should be trained and qualified to work with students with disabilities. Many of them are not. They are roles that typically aren't very well paid. And so in theory, it would be nice to attract qualified individuals by the Department of Education and these school systems providing more of an incentive to attract qualified professionals. Though there are certainly wonderful aides out there who um, work very hard to keep their students safe. Unfortunately, right now, I'm seeing a lot of incidents where aides formerly called paraprofessionals in the education setting are getting frustrated, ignoring students that they're there to provide services for, and even worse, harassing students, targeting students. And in this case, it's alleged that there was physical and emotional abuse by the aide on the student. Basically, what they believe in this complaint is that for five weeks, the aide, Rochanda Jefferson, thought that she could discipline autistic behaviors out of the student. And despite the parent bringing this to the school's attention, this continued for quite some time. And what's even more shocking about the St. Arbor case and something that I've seen not only in Ann Arbor, but throughout the state of Michigan and elsewhere, is that when schools learn that something has been mishandled, either intentionally or neglectfully, instead of stepping in, removing that individual, having some form of accountability, providing some type of training, there are sometimes consistent efforts to hide what has happened to protect the school. And that may not be surprising to many of our listeners, but it's a trend that I'm seeing worsen as time goes on. And I'm seeing a huge divide between parents and school systems where a lot of these issues, if properly addressed right away, could save kids' lives. And we're going to be interviewing a family that was deeply affected by a similar type of incident on our podcast very, very soon. So I'm looking forward to bringing you that interview. This is an issue that's not going to go away. The superintendent's uh, last name is Swift. She has been superintendent in Ann Arbor Public Schools for about 10 years. But there were hundreds of signatures from school staff, former staff, school board members, parents, students saying she needs to go. There's still a lot of debate about how transparent the school board is being. But the board of trustees did vote in a four to three vote to create a pathway to dismiss Superintendent Swift. So I'll keep you posted on that, as well as the Nelson-Molnar versus Ann Arbor Public Schools case. The next big news story in the last week is that there was a Republican debate. Former President Trump did not attend the debate. There was a, a little bit of a debate going on behind the scenes about whether or not he would attend. He did not. He decided to do a separate interview, which is not all that surprising with all of the legal cases that he has going on right now. But the Republican debate led to an interesting approach from many of the candidates. A lot of people feel as though this was Ron DeSantis's opportunity to come across as a strong leader, to perhaps distance himself just a little bit from his typical woke, baiting arguments that you see him make in the media and in Florida all the time, but he didn't appear to be a central focus of the Republican debate, which is news in itself. Because after former President Trump, who still has a lot of Republican support, the next candidate with a lot of support has been Ron DeSantis. But he essentially faded into the background. He didn't have a lot of charisma, and at the end of the night, he didn't have any good punchlines or sticking points that seemed to resonate with viewers. There's a a meme that's been going around about him trying to smile for the camera and struggling to do so. I won't comment on that, but I will say I do think that he really missed his opportunity to be a standout in the Republican debate. Mike Pence tried to speak up a bit, um, and unfortunately, it, it seems like for him, he fell flat a bit. Nikki Haley and Chris Christie appear to be getting the most attention online in positive ways. I would say that they felt more comfortable for Nikki Haley pointing to her experience with foreign policy and her somewhat more lenient stance for a Republican on abortion, saying that she thinks that it should be looked at from a more realistic lens. Chris Christie had a standout moment of the night when he kind of poked at Vivek Ramaswamy Who is an entrepreneur who is also known for rapping to Eminem at one of his appearances? Um, But Ramaswamy started to at one point quote uh, former President Obama in what he said at a debate about kind of having a, a quote funny or odd name. You know, who's this skinny guy with a different name? Essentially, and Chris Christie called him out on that. I do think that Ramaswamy is seeking some of the Trump attention in the media. Um, I should say in a similar way to how Trump did it back when he was first running um, for president before the 2016 election. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes and how the, the field narrows after the Republican debate has settled. I do think that uh, when it came to the standouts of the night, Ramaswamy, Haley, and Christy appeared to get the most support from the media and on social media from people watching the debate. So we will see. Another big news story out of the Midwest involves the Chicago Police Department. A Chicago officer named Jeffrey Cribb. K-R-I-V is how you spell his last name. He is currently facing charges for perjury and forgery after getting out of dozens of traffic violations by claiming his girlfriend stole his car. But throughout that ordeal, he it has been discovered or alleged that he made many false statements on the record. And in Chicago, many, many, many cases that stem from his arrests are in jeopardy, meaning that they could be reversed, retried, thrown out. So prosecutors in Illinois dropped at least 15 cases where his testimony was a a factor in charging those individuals. He is accused of lying under oath 44 times to get out of speeding, parking, and red light camera tickets for his personal vehicles. He has been a police officer for over 25 years. The most recent uh, DUI arrests he made involve allegations of dangerous driving. He was known for being one of the city's biggest DUI enforcers is how they're kind of framing it in the media. He was really well-known for finding people driving under the influence and arresting them, testifying against them, and getting them locked up. However, in addition to those 15 cases that are being thrown out, there are seven other cases where he was the arresting officer and the, the state's attorney... Made motions declining to prosecute those. So, this officer is facing a huge credibility issue and is rightfully so facing a lot of scrutiny. But I think that this case really speaks to how our system has traditionally provided a lot of credence and respect to what police say in court. And historically, police have been believed in the court system. And unfortunately for the public, sometimes they may not be so credible. So I'll keep you posted on where that goes. Lastly, another really sad story involving a police officer in Mississippi, there was a 10 year old child who was urinating in a parking lot. And a police officer arrested the child, 10 years old. The police chief, Richard Chandler, announced that this officer is no longer employed by the department, but they haven't provided many, many details about if he was disciplined, if he quit, if he was fired. And as you may know, very often when officers leave certain positions, Maybe because of excessive force, other forms of misconduct, they can still very often be hired by other police departments. And so I really would hope that there's more follow-up on this case out of Mississippi because 10 years old, being arrested at 10 years old is a huge deal. It's incredibly traumatic for a child to go through a court system. It's even more traumatic for a child to go through our court system and to be arrested and put in a police car for having a human bodily function. And so I would say pay attention to this case because it's also bringing to light that more and more young children are being arrested for things that could be properly addressed outside of the court system, or by the parents, and it's not necessarily the police officer's job to enforce or have the the gall, I should say, to arrest a young child for something like this. I have heard and experienced children between the ages of 10 and 13 that are being arrested for things like domestic violence, assault and battery, even rising cases of social media bullying, and yes, even though they're young, things like sharing nude photos. And so the laws have some protections in that if you're very young, you may be able to argue that you're not competent to go through the juvenile court system because you can't assist your attorney. In your case, where you're unable to understand the, the gravity of the, the charge, the legal process itself, and I don't know that that legal protection for children is necessarily being translated or described to the police officers that seem to, to keep arresting them. So that's our current event roundup for this week. Let us know if there is a case or a law that you would like for us to cover moving forward. We've got some wonderful interviews coming up. So subscribe, like our posts, follow us on social media. And if you have a moment, please feel free to review our podcast. It really does help and we enjoy seeing the reviews. Thanks, everyone.